But I want to start with just a little bit of a review. And the, the, before I get too far into the review, just remember that the, the Advent season is not in the Bible, all right? It's a tradition, but it's a long-standing tradition. So there's a lot of history on it. But it's not something that we're doing because the Bible tells us we have to. It's, it's something that we're trying to help add value to, to help you understand why did it even start in the first place? So the word Advent actually comes from the, ver, the word meaning coming or arrival, right? So it's the celebration of some great person's birth. Now, during the Christmas season, I think it's uh, safe to say that we know who we're celebrating the advent of. His name is Jesus, and we're celebrating his birth, but we're also celebrating the advent of his return, right? So it's important to remember that, that he, prom he was born, but he also promised to return. And so we're celebrating the fact that we not only celebrate the fact that he arrived once, but that he's coming again. And so that's what we're doing in the midst of all of this as we continue to celebrate uh, this Advent season. A couple other things that we want you to understand is as we discovered, the, or as we uncovered, not, it wasn't a new discovery to us, as we're declaring the history of it all, there's all kinds of different practices in the Advent season. And we all have a tendency to disagree. Some denominations practice it this way. Some uh, countries practice it that way. But we can date the practice of Advent all the way back 1,600 years, spanning millenniums, all right? All the way back to the 3rd and 4th century, we have evidence of the season being celebrated, right? During that time, they celebrated with candles. They started celebrating with a wreath. There's some differences of opinion when all those things entered into it. But the spirit of the Advent season has been being celebrated for 1,600 years. And you and I, we get to participate with our brothers and sisters across the world right now celebrating the same season. A season that has been celebrated for centuries and millenniums in very similar ways. So it's a little bit more than just some kind of cute little tradition during Christmas. It actually carries a lot of meaning, and we've tried to unpack some of that meaning for you during this time. Last week, Matt talked about Gaudette Sunday and how it's the Sunday for the celebrating joy, and he shared that the pink candle is like one of the only colors that we all agree upon during that actual Sunday. And, um, and so he shared all about Gaudette Sunday, and you can go back and listen to it. A couple weeks ago, he shared about um, the, the German guy who started making the wreath more popular by putting it on a big cartwheel so that kids could understand when um, Advent was when Christmas was actually coming, and so then there's some different history around the whole wreath and what the wreath stands for. Um, and then he shared with us all the different colors of the candle, all right? And so we have the purple, some, some uh, like the Lutherans and Protestants, some of them practice with um, the blue candles, but always the pink candle represents joy. The other purple candles represent, or the blue candles represent uh, the different words that we're going to be sharing as well. And so the colors have meaning. And then there are some traditions that I get to talk about that even have this white candle, okay? So they have the white candle, the center candle, and this is what's called the Christ candle. Now, not every tradition celebrates with the Christ candle. Some of them only have the four candles. If they do practice with the fifth candle, it's always white, all right? So that is one thing that they agree upon. If the fifth candle is included, it's always white, and it always represents Christ, and the white is because of the purity of Christ. And if you celebrate with the fifth candle, which we are going to light on Christmas Eve, so plug for Christmas Eve, those of you joining us online, we're going to have our Christmas Eve service. Um, we're going to light the, Christmas, the, the, the Christ candle on Christmas Eve. Now, in the traditions, the Christ candle is always lit on one of two days, either Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. All right, so that's one tradition that is consistent. And then the other thing that's consistent with it is um, once it's lit, these four are snuffed out. 
All right? And then only Christ remains because he was here. And then the light stays lit for at least one Sunday thereafter and oftentimes two Sundays. Why? Well, good, good question. I'm so glad you guys asked. The reason why is because it's, it's symbolic of the fact that we're going to carry the light of Christ into the dark world with us. And to serve as a reminder, because I don't know if you're like others that tend to um, come to church around Christmas and Easter, it's a reminder that you take Christ with you every single Sunday, every single day of the week that we go out there into this world that is suffering with darkness. And we're going to talk a little bit about that, that darkness that exists around us, and, and yet Christ said that he was the Prince of Peace. And so then the candle that we lit today was the Prince of Peace, and I'm going to get a chance to talk about that. But I want to talk about the other four candles, or the other three candles, excuse me, that Matt talked about up until today. And so each one of them stands for something different. But what we have to remember is the, is the gospel of Christ is actually the good news for all people. And, and Matt went through the, the scripture passages that talked about how the angels declared it and all the heavenly hosts sang about it. But for all people, everybody that calls upon the name of Christ, it is good news for all people. And that's at the, that's at the base of everything about the message of Christ. And then we went on to talk about the four things that we're celebrating within the character of Christ as we celebrate the Advent season. The first candle that we lit stood for the hope of Christ. And Matt used the passage uh, out of Hebrews 10, verse 23, and talks about the confidence in which we can stand upon the hope of Christ no matter what it is and no matter how the world wants to try and get you to doubt um, the message of Christ. And then he went on in the second week, we talked about the love of Christ. And how the love of God is to permeate every single relationship that we have. And he used John chapter 1, verses 14 through 18. And so then he went on after the love of Christ. And then last week, the Gaudette Sunday, we talked about the joy of Christ. And how we should be able to rejoice in all circumstances, no matter what is happening. And what happens in our lives shouldn't dictate the joy that we have within us. It's not a matter of, you know, happiness is fleeting, but joy is eternal. And so the joy of Christ, and he talked about Philippians 4, verse 4, and how we are to find joy in all circumstances. And then that leaves us to today, the peace of Christ. And we get to talk about what does that really look like through the lens of Christ, all right? What does the peace of Christ really look like as we celebrate this Advent season? And what kind of peace did Christ really bring to this earth? And I don't, I'm going to invite you on a journey. I don't know, I had two fellow historians that kind of, um, I asked them to raise their hand last time, but they didn't. Um, but I talked to two fellow historians that they verified all the information that I shared last sermon. Um, it's accurate. It's not just my search. It's, it's what's out there. Um, but you're going you're gonna to hear about how the peace of Christ might look a little different than maybe what the world is looking for. But to do that, I want to go back to the, the first passage that Matt read from as we kicked off this series. It comes out of the book of Isaiah, chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. And so what we have with this is this, uh, it's the beginning it's a prophecy of this coming Messiah, the prophecy of, that was dated over 700 years before Jesus was born, and it goes like this. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. So I want you to remember the government, all right? Remember what kind of a Messiah the Jewish people, the Israelites, were looking for in their promised one, in their prophesied holy one, okay? The government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. A prince only comes from a king, right? A king from another kingdom. 
And so we have a prince of peace that's heralding in this prince, or this peace that's supposed to be coming. Of the greatness of his government, okay, important. This prophecy is about government, all right, about a coming king who is going to bring peace. And of his government and peace, there will be no end. So this is the type of a savior, this is the type of Messiah that they're looking for. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom. All right, so there, all of this is screaming physical king, physical kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. So this is a, a major component of the um, prophecy of Isaiah that happened 700 years before the birth of Christ for us to remember. Now, what we have to remember is it wasn't just us that was remembering it. The theologians of the day, the Pharisees of the day, they all would have had access to the same passages. They all studied the prophecies of the Old Testament. Okay, this was 700 years before Jesus. They knew who they were looking for. They knew what the Savior was supposed to look like. They knew what the Messiah was supposed to be bringing in. What we have to ask ourselves is, do we understand it from their perspective? And so the Jewish people, they were looking for this advent of a king who was going to save them from the plight of their captivity. And if you know anything about the Israelite history, they were constantly being taken over by foreign countries and always being held under rule. And so this idea of a king setting up their kingdom really was very appealing to them, especially when it goes back to David. Because when David was king, their kingdom was advancing. Their kingdom was filled full of peace. David was the greatest king in the history of, of, the, of the nation Israel. And so to compare the Savior, the Messiah, to that, and the fact that his kingdom would never end, was a big deal. All right, so we've got to get our minds around this government that they're expecting, okay? Now there's another part of, of this Christmas story that really helps us bring to light this idea of Jesus being a king. And it oftentimes gets overlooked because we misunderstand it, because of our wonderful um, Christmas carols. And I, I, okay, maybe I don't like a lot of Christmas carols, but there's one Christmas carols, carol out there that really does us a disservice called We Three Kings of Orion Are. All right, and we sing it, We Three Kings of Orion Are. I don't even know the words very well, but I know the one where he was smoking a rubber cigar, it exploded, and boom, and then we, okay. Those of you that know that one, you know this, this song that I'm talking about. All right, but it's We Three Kings of Orion Are. We don't really know how many people there were, and they didn't go to the manger. It's, it's entirely the wrong story that we get and that we, we have on our cute little Christmas shows and all that, and we don't even understand what the three wise men that we celebrate, what they were even doing. So I want to go to that story today as we talk about this Prince of Peace, this King of Kings, this Messiah that was born into the world, all right? So let's start in Matthew 2. Um, it says this, after Jesus was born, all right? So this is how we know the, the wise men did not go to the manger, because this was afterwards. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea, during the time of King Herod. Now, I don't know how many of you are history buffs in here, uh, but this gives us a whole lot of information to study. That one phrase right there gives us all kinds of extra biblical resources to go to to study what was happening in the time and day and age of this time. And then it says, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. Great. That's the Magi or the three wise men, all right? Where did they come from? Keep going. When they came in, they asked a simple question. 
Now, you've got to ask, now, why did these three dudes on a camel even get to talk to King Herod in the first place? I mean, if you're on a camel, do you, does everybody on a camel get to talk to the king? No. These guys are important, all right? And you'll find out why in a minute, all right? Because I'm really going to geek out on history with you in a second, all right? You think it was bad, sometimes I'm going to get way worse, all right? So here we go. Where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? Simple enough question by three dudes on a camel, right? Where's the new king? Talking to the king, all right? Um, we saw his star when it rose and, I have, and have come to worship him, all right? So they were astronomers. Everybody back in the day and age were astronomers, all right? We, now we talk about astronomy today and everybody thinks you're talking about astrology. Astronomy is a study of the stars. It's a science, all right? And, and everybody back in the day, they would have known how to study the stars. They were traveling by the stars. You navigated by the stars. You told history by the stars. You told prophecies, all the teachers of the law, the chief priests of the law that Herod's going to call upon in a second, studied astronomy. Those magi from the east studied astronomy in relationship to the prophetic messages that were given to us in the Old Testament passages. So he'd been studying and waiting for this. We saw his star when it rose and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he didn't care. No, he was disturbed. So King Herod was disturbed over the fact that three dudes on a camel came and told him about some random star. No, it's far bigger than that. And you'll understand why. It wasn't just King Herod. All Jerusalem was disturbed. Now, I don't know about you, but I've, I've preached a lot of messages, all right? I've told a lot of people about Christmas, and I've gone through the Christmas story a lot, but I've never preached on the Magi, and I got to go down history lane this week, and it was phenomenal. So you get to come along with me just a tiny little bit, all right? Just a tiny little bit. I'm not going to bore you to death, I hope, but I am going to tell you who these Magi were, all right? Because it changes the birth of Christ. I hope it blows your mind, like, man, why hasn't everybody told you this, told me this? Okay, that's how excited I am about this, all right? So the Magi, all right, the Magi are from the Parthian Empire. <laughs> that's exactly what the first service did, too. The Parthian Empire, and they came to celebrate the next king. The Parthian Empire. How many of you know about the Parthian Empire? Anybody out there? Anybody studied any other history buffs out there? Oh, good, I've got a fresh audience. All right, oh, one, all right, there we go. All right, you kind of know, maybe you've heard about them. The Parthian Empire was as big and as powerful as the Roman Empire. They just never kind of congealed together to make it look like they were one cohesive front. But they were a huge, huge empire that bordered the Roman Empire. Now, this is where it gets really cool. All right, we can trace the Magi from the East, the Magi from the Parthian Empire, the wise men from the Parthian Empire, all the way back to the book of Daniel. Daniel also was a prophet after Isaiah. He lived about 530 years before Jesus. And Daniel prophesied all about the coming Messiah as well. In fact, he's the one that talked about some of the stars and some of these other things. Micah did too. And so these magi, under the tutelage of Daniel, learned all about these prophecies. Okay, you don't believe me? I can see the look on your face. Let's go to the Bible. We can, we can clear that up, all right? So one of the passages that we have in the Old Testament where Daniel was um, being raised to a level of great importance is right here. This is after he gave King Nebuchadnezzar. And during this time, uh, they were under the captivity of the Medo-Persians, the Persian Empire. It's first the Babylonians, and then the Persians came in. Way more history than you probably... I mean, there's a lot of history. You can go back and study it. But it was during that time, Daniel rose to power in the Babylonian Empire and the Persian Empire, and he was set up as the key leader over all of it. Watch this. 
Then the king promoted Daniel and he gave him many generous gifts. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon. And he made him chief governor over all the wise men, all the magi of Babylon. Same thing, 530 years before the birth of Christ. This is where Daniel's at. Now, this all got on my radar. About four years ago, I was hitchhiking across America and I got picked up by, um, by a Muslim guy who was converted to, a, to Christianity. And he was giving me all this information about the Sunnis and the Shiites and why they fought and why some of them believed one way and some of them didn't. And he traced it all the way back to Daniel and how Daniel is taught and the teachings of Daniel are taught even in the Muslim faith way back from when. And he knew more about Daniel than I knew about Daniel and his prophecies. Why? Because that's what causes some of the discrepancies over there. But as Westerners, we're taught about the Roman Empire. But the Parthian Empire was equally as important to the East as the Roman Empire is to the West. But as Westerners, we don't get a lot of the history of the Eastern empires. All right? And so Daniel went East. And Daniel trained all the Magi that were coming up in the Persian, the Medo-Persian Empire. Well, guess what happened in your history books? Anybody know who took over the Medo-Persian Empire? Okay, you're right. The Grecian Empire did, all right? Alexander the Great. Anybody ever heard of Alexander the Great? Of course you have. He's from the West, all right? So you've heard of Alexander the Great. He took over the empire, and then he dominated the country. Well, guess what? He kicked off. Some of his other dudes got little lands that were given to him, and one of his generals took over the area of, this, of where the Parthians are at, and it was called the Seleucid Empire, all right? So how many of you know the other empire that fought with Greece? Anybody heard of this other country that fought with Greece and beat them? What was it? I can't hear it very well. It wasn't Egypt. Egypt was a safe place. They were further south. They didn't. It was Rome. Did you say Rome? I can't hear very well, so you don't have to say it again. I don't know. I'm deaf. Anyways, Rome was battling Greece, all right? And Rome, the, battle, the empire, defeated the Grecian empire. And there was this major battle going on. Guess who was watching this battle between Rome and, and Greece happen? The Parthians. This was about 200 years before Christ. So the Parthians are watching the skirmish happen here. They knew that Greece was weakened, and so they attacked, and they won their independence, and they created this Parthian Empire. Well, guess which country is in the middle of all that? Yeah, you're right, Israel. All right, so it's a border country, bordering in between the Parthian Empire and the Roman Empire. They were also under the Seleucid control, but during the same time the Parthians revolted and gained their independence from Greece, guess who else decided to revolt against Greece? Yeah, you're right, the Israelites did. It's called the Maccabean Revolution. And so the Maccabean Revolution happened at the same time the Parthenian Revolution happened, and the Maccabees gained their Jewish independence for about 200 years, and they rose up to power. Well, when the Romans defeated Greece, then they also came and defeated the Jewish people, the Maccabees, all right? And they took over Israel. So now Israel's one more time defeated. But guess who the Romans never beat? Yeah, you're right, the Parthians, they never beat them. Good job, all right. So the Parthians are now growing in power at the same rate that the Romans are. So now the only way that we can possibly put this into perspective is Parthian Empire is equivalent to, uh, to Rome as China is to America. We still have our economic battles going on, you know, but they're both superpowers and neither one of us dare to kill each other because it would just start a national war, right? And nobody would want to get into that because it'd be horrible. It's the same way with the Romans and the Parthians. They had a love-hate relationship. And guess where Israel was? Yep, you're right, right smack dab in the middle. And guess who King Herod is? Yeah, Rome's, Rome's little puppet figure to keep peace between the Maccabees who revolted 
and the Parthians who revolted, and King Herod is supposed to keep peace. Now we read this passage of where he comes in after King Herod hears that the Magi that are from the Parthian Empire, who would have been the key leaders of the Parthian Empire who would declare the next king, who came in with their full entourage and support of the Parthian Empire, asking where is this new king, what do we read about King Herod? <laughs> he heard all this and he was greatly disturbed. What he thought the Parthians were doing was declaring war. They were establishing a new king in his kingdom that he was supposed to be keeping all insurrections down and keeping the peace. He was the key figure to keep the peace between the Parthians and the Romans. And now all of a sudden, their lead magi, the wise men who have been studying under the book of Daniel for 500 years, are now showing up in his country to declare the next king of the Jews, the king of the Jews that's going to lead the next Maccabean revolt? Oh no. And guess what? It wasn't just him that was disturbed. It says all of Jerusalem was, in, was disturbed. So we sing this cute little song about these magi and we set up our cute little nativity scene and we miss the world powers that are about to go to war over the birth of a baby. Now you do what you want with Jesus and I encourage you, choose wisely what you do with Jesus as far as him being the savior of the world. But I'll tell you what, he was a powerful figure in the Roman and the Parthian empires and the magi came to worship him. Now when you study the wise men, you can have a little bit better understanding of why they were such a big deal and why they were included in the Bible story about coming to visit Christ, all right? So then we pick up the story after all of that when king, uh, the king is disturbed. Now we pick up the story where the Prince of Peace has now been born, all right? Whew, that's a lot of history right there. I just took you down like 1,500 years, and I went through, that was about eight hours worth of study that I just condensed. So you should be glad I didn't take you down all the rabbit trails I went down. All right. Yeah, thank you. Much more alive than the first service. I'm glad you guys are listening. I thought I was preaching the crickets. All right. So Matthew 2, verse 4 says this. When he had called together all the people, all the people's chief priests and teachers of law. Okay, these are the Jewish people. All right. He's worried. He's like, is what they're saying true? He's questioning. He's like, all right, these guys are saying the same thing that we have access to. Is this right? He called them all together and teachers of law. And he asked them, where was he going to be born? They said, in Bethlehem in Judea, they replied. For this is what the prophet has written. Which prophet? Daniel, Isaiah, all the Old Testament prophets. I, uh, this is actually from Micah. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. All right, so the, everything that the Magi are saying about Christ is also now repeated by Herod's own Jewish historians. Everything that the Magi are saying is now validated by all those who would be in the know. Like, I don't, I don't think we quite grasp. These, these are the historians of the time. They were watching for the Messiah as well. They knew that the time of the Ma Messiah was there or they wouldn't have been disturbed. If the Magi weren't right, the Jewish historians of the day, the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they would have told King Herod, hey, buddy, don't worry, they're off. Why were they worried? Because they knew the study of the stars by the wise men from the east, those who had been taught under Daniel, they know exactly who those wise men were. They knew that they were dead on, and they missed the star, and now they're like, oh, crap. Yeah, like, what are we going to do? Well, now in comes King Herod with a great 
idea. All right, keep going. Then Herod called the Magi secretly. He said, okay, guys, come on back. And he found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. I got an idea. I'm going to go worship with you. So he sent them to Bethlehem, and he said, hey, guys, go and search carefully for the child. He's like, in other words, go find the child. I really want to meet him. This is going to be really good. All right? King Herod is devising a devious plan. Let me just warn you. He said, go and search. Oh, go back. Go and search carefully for the child. And as soon as you find him, report to me so that I may go worship him as well. Right? That's not really what he wanted to do, but keep going. So after they had heard the king, they went on their way, and, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. All right? Again, this is the home where they were at. Okay, And if you study astronomy, there's all kinds of things called retrograde motion and all this other stuff. It's another whole science I would love to bore you with, but I won't. All right? And he goes, and when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, not manger, house, because this is after Jesus was born, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshipped him. And they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I don't usually dress, I call this dressed up. Uh, I don't usually dress up very much. But I'm wearing purple today in honor of this whole idea that they were worshipping a king. They were bringing presents for a king. It wasn't just three guys on a camel, guys. They had an entourage. They were the magi. They came with the, Parth they came with the authority of the Parthian Empire that was just as large as the Roman Empire. And I don't know if you've ever watched any of these movies or history shows that talk about how when you come into another country and you honor its king with presents, you don't bring a tiny little box of treasure. You lay it down at the feet of the king in honor, and you worship the king. And that's what these guys did. So it is likely, by all historians' elements, that the very gifts that they gave here are the reason why Joseph and Mary were able to live in captivity and exile in refuge uh, camps. When they fled, they were living off the proceeds, off of all these gifts. Who knows how long they lasted? But I guarantee you it was a lot more than a silver coin. All right? They were worshiping and honoring a king. Then it goes on and it says this. Having been warned in a dream that Herod was not going to come and worship the king, and they were told not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. All right? Now, I don't know about you, but when I was a kid and I heard about the three kings on a camel and they were wandering away, I always wondered, well, why didn't Herod just go chase him down and find out where he was? I mean, there's just three dudes on a camel. can't be that hard to catch when you're the king of an empire, right? Not when you'd be going to war with the Parthian Empire. That'd be a dumb move. Don't go take out the guys that have the authority of the greatest empire next known to mankind except for the one that you're supposed to be representing. His job was to keep the peace, not to go to war. To attack the, the Magi leaving and going to find them and demanding that they tell them where the baby was would have been an act of war. And so Herod did the next best thing. In fact, he knew the next best thing when he was talking with them. He got the time when the star was made. Now remember, what is, what is Christ called? The prince of what? Yeah, um, so talk to the moms and the dads in the town where Jesus was born about how that peace worked out for him. You see, because after Herod heard that they had left and they didn't know where the baby was he devised a plan to make sure that this insurrection would never happen the time of the star happened about two years before so guess what herod devised in his plans to do those of you that know the story wipe out all the babies two years old and younger all the baby boys so he went in and slaughtered every baby boy 
two years old and younger because if you can't take out the empire that came to worship the king, you can at least take out a baby king. It's a lot easier to kill a baby than it is to take on an empire. So that was his plan. Now imagine being the mom and dads of those babies. Thanks, Jesus, for being born in my town. Not very peaceful, right? I mean, we got to imagine. we got to put ourselves in these shoes like this. We worship Jesus on Christmas time like it's a cute little baby in a manger with, with animals pooping over his face, right? I mean, let's get honest. The guy was not born into royalty, all right? He had a horrible beginning. And yet we worship it like we, we celebrate it like it's this cute little celebration. These were people's lives. People were slaughtered. Babies were ripped from their mom and dad's arms, chopped into pieces. And we hail him as the prince of peace. I'd love to tell you that the news gets better, but it doesn't. It, it just keeps getting worse. But I want us to understand this for a moment. That when we study Jesus, we got to put ourselves back in that time and say, what in the world is going on? Look at what, look, this is what I want us to understand when we, when we really study Jesus. We have to understand the bad news. Before we can truly experience and appreciate the good news of Christ, we said that the good news is for all people. But if there's no bad news, there's really no good news. So I just want to paint a little bit more of a picture of the bad news, okay? Beyond the slaughter, that's bad enough, but it gets worse. I want us to go to what even Jesus said about himself, because there was a time when, you know, remember the Maccabean revolt? You know, they beat Antiochus Epiphanes, and that was a whole big deal in study history. Well, there's a remaining element of them, okay? They were called the Zealots. Judas the Iscariot was most likely part of them, maybe. Um, they thought that Jesus was going to be the next king. So in one of the stories we have about Jesus, they actually tried to appoint him as king and set him up on this earthly throne. And Jesus said, no, that's not the kind of kingdom I'm here to celebrate. So he ran away and he, he escaped, all right? And so they weren't, the, there's still this idea that they're looking for this government, this king where the government was going to rest upon his shoulders and he's going to set up this world peace. We still talk about world peace. My friends, world peace is never coming on this earth. It's going to cause a lot more harm and a lot more division. We have to understand what Jesus said about himself. So I want to go to what Jesus said about himself with this. Matthew 10, 32 says this, Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. Good news. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Bad news. Keep going. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. Jesus, we just lit your candle. But we're supposed to, you're the Prince of Peace. What do you mean you're not the Prince of Peace? What do you mean you're not bringing peace, Jesus? No, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. This verse really messes up Christians a lot. And our theology of Jesus, that peaceful little guy that, you know, that we just can beat mercilessly. You know, the, the grace-filled man that's all love and never does anything with authority and justice. So what is, where's the tension at? Look at what he says. In fact, he says, for I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. In fact, a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. That's the kind of peace that Jesus came to bring. Well, that's not very exciting. But if any of you have ever been born to a home where there's conflict of beliefs, you'll know that Christmas time could be a major source of discord trying to explain the love of Christ to someone who hates Christ can create a lot of conflict. If you're born in another country, we have our brothers and sisters who are being slaughtered mercilessly right now because they admit that they follow Jesus Christ, threat of their lives, worshiping underground in underground churches even as we speak. 
Worst time of martyrdom in the history of the church ever. We're living in it, and most of us don't care. It's not peace-filled. It's not a peaceful world that Jesus was born into. He said, I didn't come to bring that kind of peace. What he came... See, as humans, we're constantly looking for world peace. We're looking for an external peace. We want, we want God just to take the pain away. Just fix it all, Jesus. But he says, that's not what I came to do. That's the world's message of peace. That is not my message of peace. By his own words, that's not the peace that he came to bring. Yes, he's from another kingdom. He came to bring peace to a fleshly kingdom and a spiritual kingdom. And he paved the way, the only way back to get into right relationship with the God creator of this universe. That's the, that's the kingdom that he represents. That's the peace that he represents. That's the kingdom that he came to resolve the issue with. We just have to choose whether or not we want to believe that he brought that kind of peace or are we still looking for worldly peace? The people that were looking for worldly peace are the same ones that crucified Christ. The same ones that I'd venture to say the majority of us would probably be really irritated with Christ's real message back then. We probably would have joined the Pharisees because our idea of a Savior would have looked more like the world's view of a Savior versus what Jesus said he came to do. But I love what Jesus says because it's not all bad news. I want to end with the good news. The good news is far better and outweighs all of it. Look at what Jesus says. Everything that I've just told you. Imagine that Jesus was here. I just told you all these things so that in me you may have peace. All right? You know the bad news so that in me you now may have peace. Not me, Jesus. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart because I have overcome the world. He defeated the world's way of peace. He defeated the world's system. He is the way to true internal peace in a spiritual kingdom that exists inside of each one of us. We have access to it when we bow down and worship him like the wise men worshiped Christ. When we bring our gifts, the greatest gift we can bring, which is ourselves, to Christ. When we do that, when we, when we give ourselves to Christ like the wise men gave to Christ, look at what Christ does uh, for us. He says, I'm going to send an advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, and he will teach you all these things to remind you of everything that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. So in the midst of all this turmoil, Christ is still saying, yeah, but there's peace in all of that. Where does this peace exist? My peace I give you, he says, but I don't give you peace like the world is looking for it. So don't let your hearts be troubled. That's actually the word actually there is your mind. Don't let your mind, your emotions be troubled. Don't be afraid by all the things, the discord and the darkness that you see in the world. The darkness is coming, folks. He promised it's going to be there. I don't think we have to look too far to realize it's exactly what he said would happen. That's the peace that Christ came to bring in us. And then when we think about that, when we think about how does it change the way we think, we can immediately jump to Paul and his teachings because this, this idea of internal peace has been a struggle for all of us in church. And I don't know if you know about Paul's life, but it wasn't a peaceful life. His life, he was shipwrecked, he was robbed, he was whipped with the cat of nine tails nine times, which means he went through the lashes, which according to history, it's 40 times each time. So his back must have looked like a stinking scarry mess. Paul's life was not peaceful. 
but Paul's life was peace-filled. Look at what he says to the Philippian church. This is right after the verse where Matt talked about the joy, that inexpressible joy that should be in us regardless of our circumstances. Paul knew a little about that, but then he went on and he said, let your gentleness be evident to all. The discord around us should not be being caused because of us. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. All the hardships, everything that you are going through, all the sicknesses, all the disease, all the hurt, all the pain, all the broken relationships, thank God for them. That's what I'm saying. Thank God for the opportunities where you get to discover the fullness of the character of God and these four characteristics and these attributes that we're studying and celebrating at Advent. Keep going. When we thank God for all these moments, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard our hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That peace will guard our emotions, that heart, that seat of our emotions. The peace of Christ will guard everything in us, regardless of what's happening externally. And Jesus' birth knew something about external circumstances being bad. Paul's life knew something about external circumstances being bad. Jesus' life knew something bad about external circumstances not being what you want them to be but yet he says this peace that transcends all understanding is within us if we desire it if we accept it keep going finally brothers and sisters whatever is true whatever is noble whatever is right whatever is pure whatever is lovely whatever is admirable if anything is excellent and praiseworthy think about such things this is where the change happens right here the peace that Christ gives us and reveals to us is an internal peace. It's a spiritual peace. It's a kingdom where the spiritual kingdom and the fleshly kingdom come together and God won the battle and he brings peace to the flesh that we live in day in and day out. That's the message of Christ that we get to carry every day into a world filled full of darkness. We just have to ask ourselves, is that the message that has permeated our lives? So I challenge you with a couple things as we bring it to a close. Oh yeah, that's the last verse. Go ahead and jump past that. I'm, I'm moving on. Don't get confused by the world's definition of peace or you're likely to miss the peace of Christ. Don't get confused by the world's message of peace or you're likely to miss the peace of Christ. The world wants you to think that Christ isn't doing his job. You're likely to think that God, Jesus isn't even who he says he is. If you're listening to the world, then Jesus is doing a pretty poor job of who he said he was. And the world wants you to doubt everything that Jesus said he is. But if you listen to what Jesus said about what he was going to do, you'll find that he pretty much is guaranteed. Everything that he said would happen is pretty much happening. And so you can either believe what the world says peace should look like, or you can believe what Jesus said peace was going to look like. And it's there for all of us to have. We just have to accept it. We have to acknowledge it. Keep going. So the question I leave you with is this, is will you let him give you the peace that he promised? Will you let him change you from the inside out with the unexplainable, inexplicable peace of Christ that changes us from the inside out so that regardless of our circumstances, and this can preach worldwide, this is, this is not socioeconomically driven. It doesn't matter what country we come from. The inexplicable peace of Christ is for all who call upon his name, not just those who have means. The inexplicable peace is for all who find themselves in just difficult circumstances. We just have to let it change us. We just have to let it change us. So when we go back to the celebration of the Advent, we want to we leave you with this message. We want to leave you with this promise. The promise of good news for all people is celebrated in these four elements that, we're, that we've, and Christ represents far more than this, but at Advent, we're celebrating these four things. 
the confident hope of Christ that we can have that he is coming again. He was here once. He did what he said he was going to do. He's doing what he said he was going to do. And he's going to do what he said he's going to do in the future. We can live confidently in that. We have access to the perfect love of Christ to permeate every relationship that we have if we give him access to our inner self and we worship him with who we are. We have access to great joy. Joy that can permeate every circumstance that we're a part of. And then internally, internally, in a world that is on more anxiety medication than any other time in the history of mankind, we could have unexplainable peace. We could have unexplainable peace if we allow Christ to permeate every area of our life. If we stop just a moment to stop trying to tell Jesus how he should have done his job and accept how he said he did his job, if we repent of what we say he should have done and accept what he said he did, then our lives would be changed by all four of these elements. But the opportunity is up to you. Every day, you get to choose if you're going to believe Jesus is who he says he is or if you're going to believe the world and who they say he should have been. Let's pray. Dear God, you are an awesome God. And Lord, we just love you. Lord, I pray again that wherever we're at in our walk with you, Lord, if someone has never given their life to you today, God, I pray that today is a day where they're like, you know what? I'm, gonna, I'm just going to trust that Jesus is who he says he is. Lord, if there's someone in this room here today, let them make that decision now. God, I pray that they would tell us later that, man, you know what? I made a decision to follow Christ today. I want to follow him with my whole heart and soul and mind. And Lord, those of us that have been following you for years or maybe a few months or maybe a few years, God, I pray that you would help us to come into a greater understanding of what it is that you have brought to us in our relationship with you. Forgive us, God, for all the times that we listen to the world's voice in our heads. And may we truly experience all that you have come to bring to us. God, we just lay it at your feet. Lord, we lay ourselves at your feet and we come to worship your name and we honor you during this Advent season. And all God's people said, amen, amen.